Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, March 28, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast presented by ZipRecruiter. If you're hiring, just posting your position to job sites and waiting and waiting and waiting for the right people to see it is not going to work. ZipRecruiter knew this and understood there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you, and these invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day, and ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes uh, trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. And right now, listeners of the Island College Basketball Podcast, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash ION. And that's E-Y-E-O-N, E-Y-E-O-N, ZipRecruiter.com slash ION, ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Matt Norlander is here with me. I'm in San Antonio. He's in San Antonio. And Norlander, I gather from Twitter, you've already discovered the Alamo. Yeah, well, we're both uh, we're both here in San Antonio. And I am, I would love to actually be with you, but uh, full disclosure, we're getting this pot out for the hardcores there, and we knew we needed to get another one done. So we both land in San Antonio, wanted to try and do it in person, and you are not as far away as was initially suspected. Perhaps we'll get to that later. But, yes, I quickly just took a, a quick scan of the area around my particular hotel. I take a right, and literally, it's, it's like right there. Like I, I was under the impression – this is my first trip to San Antonio. So I was under the impression that uh, San Antonio, uh, in the Alamo in particular, was like a 10-minute car ride away. No, in fact. And um, I, listen, this is going to be a throwback reference here, but – Unlike when um, we were at a previous site of the Final Four, I did not inadvertently step on a homeless person this time. <laughs> uh. Okay, and uh, and the Alamo is cool and it's fine. I didn't really inspect a lot of it, but it's also smaller. I bet you that's the thing with the Alamo. Everyone goes there and like, oh yeah, it's not as like big as I thought it would be. But regardless, we're here. This looks like an awesome city. I've barely seen any of it yet, but this has a good reputation. For Final Fours, you know, Indianapolis, New Orleans, and San Antonio, because they're all so walkable, are considered uh, the triumvirate of best uh, spots to hold a Final Four. I'm liking what I'm seeing so far, but we've only been on the ground here for about two hours, if that. Great to be with you, GP. How you doing? I'm good. What's funny is the first time I came to San Antonio, which I don't know when it was. It, it, I, obviously, I was here for 2008 for that Final Four, but I'm not sure if I'd ever been here before that. It seems like I might have been. I have no idea. But I discovered the Alamo exactly the way you did. Like, you just don't expect to bump into it, right? That's not usually the way sightseeing goes in cities like San Antonio. Like you, And yet I'm, st- you know, I was going to say stumbling at a bar. Probably just walking, but possibly stumbling. But late at night, and I look up, and I was like, I'm standing at the Alamo. And the first thing you realize is, yes, it is smaller um, than you envisioned. But it is... Um, it is obviously the biggest tourist attraction in San Antonio, and apparently you cannot miss it because I found it by accident. Norlander walked into it uh, by accident and did not step on a homeless person, which is what he did do in Dealey Plaza a few years ago, which is still one of my all-time favorite stories. I'll give the quick version for people who might not have heard it. After the national championship game, uh, we were in a car together. Rob Doster, I guess, was there uh, Jeff Goodman might have been there. I can't remember who. Yeah, uh, Adam Zagoria. Yes, that, that's the crew. Yes. That's the crew, right? So I mentioned, like, hey, have you guys ever been to Dealey Plaza? Because it's, like, right here. We're going to drive right past it. And I had been there multiple times. But and it, for people who don't know, it's where President Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, but you had – I know you had not been there. Right. 
so we were like, hey, well, it's two in the morning. Let's just go and see it. So the people who've never seen it can say that they've seen it. And when you get there, particularly if you, you know, are around our age, because JFK, the movie, the Oliver Stone film came out when I was in high school. And I watched that movie and I just became obsessed with the case and read everything I could read about it and, and just totally like I, I, obsessed might be a strong word, but I've read multiple books about the JFK assassination when I was in high school. And so you get there and it's just like, oh, wow, because you've seen that movie so many times, or at least I'd seen that movie so many times. It's just neat to see like, oh, there's the underpass and there's the book depository and there's the white picket fence where allegedly there was a, a second shooter. And so Norlander walks by, he says, I want to see what that, what that view would look like from behind the fence. <laughs> and it's pitch black dark, middle of the night. And I hear, I think it was you yell. It like, was, ah! It was more like a, ah. <laughs> and you had, there was a poor homeless man, like sleeping behind the fence, and you literally stepped on him. Okay, let's, again, let's not exaggerate these things. <laughs> I was walking toward a certain direction, and my foot grazed up against this this poor fella and i did not notice it it almost tripped me and in fact <laughs> i i i'm i'm confident i mean you could go back and check the tapes but i'm confident that if had i had i not said anything i would have been able to get away with it um and you would have not have known but that is not how it went down unfortunately and yeah that was uh that was a heck of a way to wrap up the 2013-2014 <laughs> season um I'm not proud of it. In fact, I'm damn ashamed of it. And it's been my goal ever since then to get through a Final Four trip without accidentally um, running into the less fortunate. So, uh, so far, so good here in San Antonio. The Final Four is going to be played on Saturday, obviously, and we will get to that eventually. But I did want to start with uh, some coaching carousel development since we last spoke, Um, because it, it appears we're just about done with the big jobs that matter unless somebody jumps to the NBA or gets fired late. Louisville has hired Chris Mack. Pitt has hired Jeff Capel. Both coaches were introduced at their new jobs earlier today. Let's start with Mack. You and I, and I think basically everybody, knew that he was going to take this job. Um, It was not a surprise when he announced yesterday on Twitter that he was leaving Xavier, his alma mater, to be the next head coach at the University of Louisville. Seven years, roughly $28 million. It's a big, big contract. But you and I had also discussed this possibility on a podcast several several weeks ago and i think we were mostly in agreement that it wasn't as clear-cut a decision for us as it might end up being for matt now let me be uh state the obvious the money's the money seven years 28 million dollars like no matter what happens going forward you have changed your family's life forever and so i get it if it just strictly comes down to money uh, xavier wasn't going to be able to match that but the job is not simple right now. Um, They've got an NCAA investigation coming, you would think, based off of the um, reports from the federal investigation that led to Rick Pitino's firing. So there's a chance that Lowell will be found as a a repeat offender, could be placed on probation again, lose scholarships again, uh, get hit with a postseason ban again. Uh, All the while, you know, it, it, it could theoretically be difficult to recruit just because people know that some NCAA stuff might be on the way. It affected North Carolina's recruiting, and if it affected North Carolina's recruiting, it stands to reason that it's going to affect Louisville's recruiting as well. I guess I'll ask you this. Take the money aside, 
and maybe you just can't take the money aside because maybe money is the deal. But uh, is this what you would have advised Chris Mack to do? Hmm. Very intriguing question. Um, I don't know all the particulars and all the details, but I'll say this. And if you'll, I'll try and answer this quickly, but let me, let me wander still. Take, take all the time you want. Cause God knows I'm going to. No, no, I will try and keep it quick regardless. <laughs> um, I don't know if I would have, have advised him to do this. Uh, the money is the money though. Like that's the thing. And we'll push it to the side for the purposes of this conversation. But that is incredible money. Like, your grandchildren's children's money don't have to worry about it kind of deal. Like, that is a lot for a human being to have placed in front of them at a top 10 program. And, and it's why I don't fault Chris for leaving his alma mater. And, by the way, here's, what I, here's the point I'm kind of driving at. He had built Xavier up in a switch in conferences, going from the, uh, the A-10 into the Big East, and while Xavier was not on level footing with Villanova, was certainly, if still punching up at Villanova, absolutely worthy of being in the ring with that program. And, you know, that's a really, really good job, and it's also an intriguing job, perhaps a unique job, in that Brian Snow had this tweet yesterday, and I did not realize this, and I'm not going to be able to pull it up in time. It's something like 32 or 34 total career wins for Xavier coaches dating back to Pete Gillen in the mid-1980s before those coaches got the Xavier job. So if you take the six coaches, and I guess the next one will be seven, that took Xavier, all of their combined career wins at the time they got the Xavier job is 34, and it was only Gillen and uh, Skip Prosser, I believe, that had – or no, Mata and Prosser that had – Gillen had not been a Division One coach. So Mata and Prosser were the only ones that had short time, and Mata had come over from Butler. That's an incredible thing. And yet, amazingly, like Gillen, Sean Miller, Thad Mata, Skip Prosser, Chris Mack – all these guys became named coaches after they left Xavier. It speaks to, obviously, their ability, but it also speaks to Xavier in this weird sort of situation that school is in. I was talking to a coach um, about a week ago when it was basically like there was just scuttlebutt that Mac's going to take Louisville, right? Like there's no chance he's not going to do this. And, and then it became like, well, who's going to take the Xavier job and all that? And the sentiment with Xavier is – oh, that program kind of just runs itself, which no program truly, truly does. I point to Billy, Billy Gillespie at Kentucky as a prime example. But when you look at Xavier and the coaches it's hired and how well it's been able to maintain relevance, it is interesting. But the reason why this is different is that it's in the Big East. And I actually think you can win a national championship at Xavier. I think the road to get there is a little bit bumpier and tougher than it is at Louisville uh, if all sanctions are removed. Um but Mac had a great thing going there at Xavier. He could have stayed there if he wanted, really, for as long as he wanted. Made great money, obviously money that he could uh, – again, this is this is generational money still. We're talking millions of dollars. Um, the key things here are the, are, are the Louisville situation. And as long as – and trust me, I'm sure Mac and his agent have that contract. And both sides are going to protect themselves. Louisville has to do its due diligence as well. But if the – contract allows for Mac to have any kind of appropriate wiggle room, I guess, going down the line. I, I don't fault him for it, but I, 
I do wonder what NCAA sanctions could come and how severe they would be because obviously now Louisville is in a situation where everyone that was associated with the program in the Rick Pitino era, even though David Padgett wasn't hit with anything, he's no longer with the program, they're all gone. So we don't know if the NCAA is going to basically sink its teeth into this in two months or in a year. It's basically when the FBI is all wrapped up and says, hey, you're good. And when that happens, what what sort of sanctions might come down on the program that would be fair and applicable? Don't know. So I, I still think that there could be some probationary stuff um, because you cannot ignore the fact that the school itself – was caught on wiretap violating terms of its probation and having an assistant coach who's now gone talking about paying prospects and stuff. There has to, I understand you want to, you want to punish the people involved. Um, but what good does it do if you're the NCAA if Louisville did all this stuff <laughs> while it was already undergoing uh, one punishment and then Louisville can say, oh, nope, we're good. We got rid of everyone. Now we're in the clear. It's a really dicey situation with the NCAA overall. So Matt could step into some stuff overall, but I don't fault him for taking the job. And I think it is a very nice marriage between coach and personality and school overall. I think that it will work, but I'll tag it with this and send it back to you. I'm not convinced – that if you took Chris Mack's next seven years, if he had stayed at Xavier and put him on a seven-year path, I'm not convinced that that seven-year path would not have been necessarily more successful from a basketball perspective than the seven years if he gets there he's about to endeavor with Louisville. What are your thoughts? That's the point I was going to make. I, I understand why you take the Louisville job. I think he'd have been more successful at Xavier than he will be at Louisville. Because even at Xavier, if you're punching up at Villanova, well, you're also like punching up, which I agree with, by the way. You're also punching up at Louisville. Like Louisville's a top ten job, but it's not Duke, it's not Carolina. So you're still punching up relative to people in your league. Um, I guess I'd say this: Mac just concluded his ninth season at Xavier, and in those nine years, he went to eight NCAA tournaments, four Sweet Sixteens, and one Elite Eight, and won one Big East title. I bet you that is if he if he coaches nine years at Louisville, I bet you what I just repeated is better than the nine years at Louisville. So that's the thing. Like you think, and I understand why you think at Louisville you should be able to recruit a different caliber of student athlete, which should theoretically give you a better chance to win a national championship. I get it, um, but I bet you I, I just bet if he's at Louisville for nine years, it doesn't exceed what he just did in nine years at Xavier. I think that's possible, but it'll also be it'll be one of those things, Parrish, where if you're at Louisville nine years, you make the tournament six out of nine years, excuse me, but you get to two Elite Eights, one Final Four. There's a couple seasons where you're kind of floating in the top five of the rankings. They'll probably the peaks could maybe exceed the peaks at Xavier, but I, I will I'll kind of return serve on myself and say I think that he absolutely would have had the opportunity not only to get to a Final Four, if he was really, if they kept it going, like, you can win a national championship at Xavier. The transition to the Big East worked. Under Mac, they did a great job, and I and that is absolutely what the the broad expectations of Xavier fans now, not on a yearly basis, but if you're a top three program in the, in the Big East, and the Big East is a top three conference in the country, and both of those things are facts, then you can, broadly speaking, have national championship aspirations. It's going to be very fascinating. Mac is built well for the Louisville job, and this money is is huge. Like, uh, if you're a Xavier fan and you're burned by this, I I understand 
but c- come on, man. Like, the guy did a lot for your program. And I also am very aware, as we talk about Chris Mack, that he has a, a reputation for being among the most media-friendly coaches. I've been critical of Mack, and I've been critical of Xavier plenty over the past three or four years in writing. So, you know, when he has slipped up, I've, I haven't hesitated from uh, – from being critical in that regard. But to any Xavier fans that are feeling downtrodden by this or just outright pissed at Mac, I don't fault him considering that his, he does have, his wife's family is from the area. And if you were afforded an opportunity to take another job that, that really improved your family situation that much and was that much money, it's really hard to say no. But, man, it just I guess it wouldn't shock me if we talked to Chris Mack five, seven, nine years from now and he reflected and said, don't regret the Louisville situation, but yeah, given what we just went through, I think it's absolutely possible if we had stayed on at Xavier, we could have had more success. Um, I, one thing worth pointing out, my understanding is that there's a clause in the contract that says if there are NCAA sanctions, it's an automatic rollover. Like he'll get extra years put on the contract strictly because he's dealing with NCAA sanctions. As for what those could be, like I said earlier, um, Louisville would at least in theory be a, what the NCAA identifies as a repeat offender, basically somebody who was a, com- a program that was committing major rules violations while on probation. That makes you eligible for the death penalty. Um, I do not believe Louisville would get the death penalty primarily because, A, I don't think the NCAA is interested in doing that to anybody, and B, um, Louisville did clean house. Athletic director, head coach, assistant coaches, everybody gone. And the NCAA will will take that under consideration. But I, I, I do believe a postseason ban is possible. And it is also worth noting that though these jobs are great jobs, they don't always just click. I mean, you because the Duke's job is a great job with a Hall of Fame coach. And the Carolina job is a great job with a Hall of Fame coach. And Virginia is a great job with a you know, one of the brightest coaches in, in the sport. And Syracuse is a great job with, you know, in that league, you're dealing with some monsters. Notre Dame and Mike Bray, one of the consistent winners. And I guess I would just say, I promise you that if you would have asked Shaka Smart a few years ago, okay, you're consistently winning at VCU, consistently going to NCAA tournaments. Now you go get a top 10 job and let's go. What's well, it's not as easy. You know, it's not it's not as easy as let's just go get a top 10 job and let's go be a top 10 program because Texas has not been that, you know, in, in what is what, three years under under Shaka now? Yeah. It's, um, you know, I could see a scenario where. You know, Xavier under Chris in recent years has consistently been ranked in the top 20, um, you know, earned a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, been to sweet 16s. That's not guaranteed to be replicated at Louisville, no matter if Louisville has all sorts of inherent advantages. And so I, I guess I'd bottom line it this way. I understand why he took the job. It's a lot of money. I'd have probably taken the job as well. But the idea that he's automatically going to be in a better position to flourish in the sport of college basketball. I'm not, I'm not so sure that that's true. I don't, I don't know that his next nine years as a head coach will be, will, will be as consistently good as his first nine years. It's so funny you, you brought this up, GP, because we didn't really, you know, I knew we were going to talk about Louisville and Mac and all that stuff, but I've been, you know, we were both traveling today, and then I was kind of running around doing a bunch of stuff yesterday when, you know, the Mac hire, it, it breaks and all that stuff. So, But I haven't read a lot about it. Like, I haven't read the local reaction or anything like about that. And um, 
I didn't expect us to be on the same page with this. It, it is going to be intriguing uh, with him there. He's going to bring at least two assistants over, um, and then we wait and see with Travis Steele, who is a Xavier assistant associate head coach, if the pattern continues there with Xavier, do they take someone in-house? Steele has never been a head coach, but the program hasn't suffered in the past by making that kind of promotion. It's the only big job that's on the table right now. When you look, it's been a, it's been a um, it's just been a slower year than normal. If you if you basically look at top fifty jobs in college basketball, even though Louisville's a top ten job, and that's definitely a big one that's come open. UConn, not a top ten job, but obviously a top thirty program historically with what it's been able to do over the past two decades. That fills with Hurley, and I think of some of what you've talked about here, Parrish, with Mac might apply with Hurley, but with Hurley, it makes more sense because the gap between Louisville and Xavier is so much smaller than the gap between UConn and Rhode Island. Similarly, both those guys are basically making ninety minute moves from where they were, Cincinnati to Louisville. Louisville, and then uh, Kingston up to stores overall. But with Xavier, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, you got to figure Pat Kelsey, who has uh, who has been at Xavier previously as an assistant, will get a look. Travis Steele will get a look. And uh, I think it's one of those two guys. I do as well. Someone uh, someone threw out a wild card to me. I don't think this would happen. But actually, you've you've mentioned this very thing. We'll get to the pit job too. Um, mm-hmm. They're like, hey, you know, if all if all is truly okay. Uh, wouldn't it be wild if Sean Miller doubled back to, to Xavier? And I was like, I can't see that happening, but that would be interesting as hell if that happened. Because you had mentioned him with Pitt, and uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think the two I mentioned and the two you were um, acknowledging will be one of the two. But, I mean, if that if – that, that would almost have a uh, – I don't know. To me, it would have like a college football feel in terms of coaches that have been at previous places, gone back, doubled back, and um, it would it would be damn intriguing, but I don't think so. I think it will be one of the other two guys. I guess I'd say this. If Pitt couldn't bring itself to hire Sean Miller, yeah, I, th- I think Sean would have left for Pitt if Pitt would have had him, which is just so bizarre because Pitt would have killed for him a year ago. Yeah. And, and yet, because of the FBI investigation and the uncertainty surrounding Sean – and the Arizona program. He's still got a longtime assistant facing federal prison. Um, perhaps it'll lead to nothing as it relates to Sean Miller, but uh, it, it, it certainly, at least in theory, could. Um, so if Pitt couldn't bring itself to hire Sean Miller under these circumstances, I don't see how Xavier could bring itself to hire Sean Miller uh, under these circumstances. I think it'll be Pat Kelsey or Travis Steele. And I, I would say this, because when people talk about the Xavier job, they say two things. One, hey, every Xavier coach has left. You know, Gillen left, Mata left, Miller left. They all leave. Um, and that is true. But the, the Xavier job today is different than, than, the, than it was when those men left. You know, it was an A-10 job. Yep. You know, that, that's way different than a Big East job. And so just because every previous Xavier coach left doesn't mean that that Chris Mack ever had to leave. Like you said, and I, I agree, he had a top three job and a top three leave. Um, and the other thing that people always say about Xavier is, hey, they always just promote from within, which has routinely been the case. But I would say the same thing. It's a, di- it's a different job then. Mm-hmm. You can go get um, a different type of candidate for Xavier now than you ever could have gotten in any time in history. And so that doesn't mean that Travis... Uh, shouldn't be promoted. I'm just saying that, um, you know, it's a different job today than it, than it's ever been. Uh, but Chris Mack at his press conference at Louisville seemed to go to bat and endorse Travis Steele. And I, I guess if I were betting, I would bet it goes in that direction. 
just promote Travis and try to keep that thing operating um, at whatever level you can keep it operating. We'll see. Um, at Pitt, they did ultimately make a hire. They missed on Dan Hurley. They couldn't hire Sean Miller. They went out and got Jeff Capel. What are your thoughts on Capel at Pitt? Uh, how surprised were you that Capel got there? I did, this just wasn't on my – first of all, Duke assistance being involved in Pitt only flared onto my radar – uh, when there was word that was, I think I think erroneously out there that John Shire was offered the position. I let me, I, I, I did some I did some checking on that. That did not seem to be the case. Maybe well, so see. so on Sunday, it starts getting reported by various uh, Twitter handles and some reputable sites as well that John Shire is interviewed or he's going to interview for Pitt, and that he's one report was even that he's the job's on the table if it's his if he wants it. And so I started making some calls on this, and I was told pretty quickly, Shire's just not involved there. And so then I reported that on Monday. I said, you know, contrary to some reports, Duke assistant John Shire is is not a candidate for the pit job. And then later on Monday, and certainly early Tuesday, early yesterday morning, because Shire's, I had somebody say, it was the wrong wrong Duke assistant. Yeah, it just didn't make sense. Yeah, like like the the people who are reporting it's Shire, they're on to something. They just got the wrong guy. It's not Shire, it's Capel. And um I was hearing that pretty heavily late Monday, early Tuesday, and then of course the news breaks, Jeff Capel, next head coach at Pitt. So those erroneous reports were erroneous, but they weren't rooted in nothing. They were rooted in Pitt's interested in a Duke assistant, and for whatever reason, some people thought it was Shire, but it was never Shire. It was always Capel. Right, Church, wrong Pew deal. And uh, and with Capel taking this job, um, it is fascinating to me. I, I'd love to uh, to get the story of how it how it came together. I guess the forty eight hours before it did. Um, it, listen, he is he was the most high profile assistant coach combined with a track record of just recruiting victory after recruiting victory. And that's at Duke and that's going back to Oklahoma. Um, so, and he had been, you know, obviously he had been searching for jobs and trying to get a job inside a power conference here in recent years. And here he gets a spot. Now it's a, it's another friend slash um, pupil of, of Krzyzewski's in the league. He's got Bayheim there. Now he's got Capel at Pitt I so a lot of people are calling it a home run. I can't say it's a home run. In fact, honestly, it's hard for me to ever say. Like it's I don't know. It, we're not, you know, we can't see the future. Like from what from what Pitt could do and who it could hire, this it looks like to be looks to be a solid hire. Uh, I think Capel has the capability to get a good staff in place, get some good recruits there, and get Pitt to the point where it is competing for NCAA tournament bids, not quite at the regularity that Jamie Dixon had it going, but maybe something close. I think that's a reasonable expectation. Overall, it's a, na- it's the, you know, it's a name hire considering if you're bringing an assistant to take an ACC job, it's hard to get a name hire under those circumstances. Capel obviously applies. This is his third sh- shot at being a head coach. He was obviously at VCU, went on to Oklahoma, made an Elite Eight, got Blake Griffin there, and then um, got fired after two down years, and then one of his assist- assistants – got caught giving tiny gallons some impermissible benefits. So there is a little bit of, um, of rockiness in Capel's history overall. But I think it works. I think it's an interesting hire. And I, I, 
I mean, I don't know. I'm curious as to what you think with this because I think I think Pittsburgh at least, at the very least, gets a coach who knows how to recruit. And honestly, like, he played for Mike Krzyzewski. He can coach. Like, we know that Capel can coach. So I think he will bring a lot of energy to that league. But the ACC, more and more, man, like, you bring Chris Mack into the league. Like, I mean, that there's just a lot of good coaches still in that conference. So all the fan bases that aren't at the Blue Bloods, just take stock of that and realize just who you're going up against on a year-by-year basis. Um, I think this is as good as Pitt could do. You know, like, their options at the end were – you know, Nate Oates, um, Mark Schmidt, uh, Jeff Capel, and certainly Capel's the biggest name out of out of those guys. I mean, Schmidt's a tremendous basketball coach, and what Nate's been able to do, um, you know, at Buffalo is, is also impressive. But Capel's the name. And I know it ended badly at, at Oklahoma, but, you know, it, you know, people start to focus on his recruiting at Duke. Like, he's responsible for Marvin Bagley. He's responsible for Harry Giles. He's responsible for Duke having, I, I think, the number one recruiting class in America in for the past five years, at least according to one recruiting service. He is largely credited for that. He also recruited Willie Warren to Oklahoma, um, Blake Griffin to Oklahoma, yeah. Ty Gallon to Oklahoma. And I know that all these didn't work out so well, but you know, he did have a team, I believe, that was ranked number one in the country at one point that went to an Elite Eight. Uh, he accomplished some things as a head coach. And so... I think this is as good as Pitt could do. You know, Pitt's not UConn. If we didn't know that before, we learned it when Dan Hurley picked UConn over Pitt. And so this was, um, who knows it? Like, I don't know if it's a home run, but there was no home run to be hit by Pitt. At the very least, Jeff's going to give, you know, Jeff's going to get players. You would think he's going to get players and give you an opportunity to compete in the top half of that league. And I know that Pitt fans got a little sideways where they lost focus of who they are and didn't appreciate just being good and relevant every year. But I think after the past two years, at least, um, they would take just getting back to relevancy and NCAA tournament appearances. And and I think Jeff gives them a chance to, to do that. I like the hire. Um, you know, it's it, it, it might work, it might not work, but I do think it's about as good as Pitt was going to be able to do under these circumstances. Yeah, in short, I, I agree. And um, this hire, I think, inspires the fan base more – Nate Oates is a good young coach, and Nate Oates will be at a bigger job in three years. I believe that. Mark Schmidt, I was, you know, I was just told that like if Pitt hires a, a, a white guy in his mid fifties again after getting rid of Kevin Stallings, like they're gonna they're gonna burn the complex down. So that, that I think, was the problem that Mark was running into. Yeah, and he's a good coach. Like Schmidt, when you are doing what he has done at St. Bonaventure, which has like a smaller enrollment than half the high schools in Chicago and Los Angeles, then like it's, it's incredible. That is a really tough job, but I was, you know, I think he could have done well at Pitt, but it was not going to be the one Heather like knew what she was up against. She couldn't have hired him. Okay. So let's see, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens to Pitt under Jeff Capel. What happens to Duke without Jeff Capel? How badly, if at all, does it change Duke's ability to out-recruit literally everybody in the country, including John Calipari. That's going to be interesting. Um, Krzyzewski, I think, has pulled a new one here, uh, promoted uh, Nate James and John Shire, both to associate head coach positions. I mean, I guess you can do that, but, like, I, I don't know. Um, He's whatever he wants. He can, he can do whatever the hell he wants. Keep an eye on that because um, Capel was, was so massive. And, and honestly, 
well-timed with Shashevsky now says that he never was really philosophically against the idea of one and done, which may or may not be true. But when you look at the players that he was able to get when he got them and the uh, narrative or idea that he was open to that, it coincides with Capel being on his staff and them landing these classes that compete with Kentucky uh, and Calipari and Arizona with Sean Miller. So, um, I don't know. I don't think it doesn't impact him. Obviously, going to next year, they've already got the class signed. Those guys are all coming in: R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson. It's it's actually Cam Reddish. It's a it's a very good, interesting class. It's not better than the crop they had this year, I don't think. But uh, Duke is obviously still, you know, deserving of being in the top ten in our preseason top twenty-five and one. Um, but who is who is Shusky going to tap to? To it's it's Chris Carwell. Oh, has it been has it been named? Yeah, he is hiring no, Chris off of Wojo's staff at Marquette. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. Some people thought he might just promote Nolan Smith. I wondered Chris... if that was going to be the case. Nolan's still pretty young, but it doesn't mean right. Shire was young when he got the gig, too. So, I mean, you know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not concerned about youth when you're recruiting. Set. Like, I've never understood why more staffs don't have young guys on it. Mm-hmm. You're, you're recruiting 16- and 17-year-olds. Why wouldn't you want younger people who can relate to them? You know how much easier it's somebody – uh, but how much easier it is for a 25-year-old to talk to a 17-year-old as opposed to a 40-year-old I got, or a 50-year-old? Yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, like this whole Fortnite thing is huge. I got no idea what the hell Fortnite is. I actually feel way behind the times. I'm not with the culture right now. Yeah, no. I, so, like, I've never understood why more coaches don't go out and hire young people. And not just anybody, but, like, young people who are clearly talented. I would never get caught up in the age. Like, if somebody is uniquely gifted and I can spot it, I would never say – yeah, if they were 38, I'd hire them. But at 27, I'm not going to do it. Like, I'll hire the 27-year-old uniquely talented guy, and then, and hopefully, he can take advantage of of his youth as when it comes to trying to connect and and develop a relationship with a, a teenager. Honestly, I give the same advice every time I'm asked to speak to journalism students on a college campus. Like, they, they say, "What what advice would you give me? Take advantage of your age." There's some people who are going to look at you and say you're too young to do this, too young to do that. But if you're trying to write about college athletics, you're the same age as the student athletes. You you might be in a class with them. You're probably at the bars with them. Take advantage of that. The, you know, uh, me sending a direct message to a a 20 year old basketball player might come off as weird. I'm 41 years old. It would definitely come off as weird. Right. But a 20 year old doing it to a fellow 20 year old. Like that's completely normal behavior. And so take advantage of whatever you can take advantage of. And I do think there's an advantage to be had by having a, um, you know, having young people on your staff when when the job is literally to go out and recruit young people. So no one's age wouldn't have uh, deterred me in any way. But apparently Kay wanted, you know, somebody who's done this before, been you know, is an experienced and accomplished Division One head, uh, Division One assistant coach. So Chris Carwell is going to be the guy. As for what it means going forward, because this is another question that comes up. Um, so who's going to replace Kay? I don't think anybody knows who's going to replace Kay. I-, I can tell you this: if if Jeff knew a hundred percent that he was going to be the guy, he probably doesn't leave. But he doesn't know that. He's never known that, and he's I, I think on some level always been skeptical that he would be the guy. You know, it'll it'll be somebody with connections to Kay, probably. And it'll probably be whoever's the hottest guy at the time. You know, if, if, if Wojo's got Marquette rolling, it'll be him. If Chris Collins got Northwestern going, it'll be him. If Jeff's got Pitt going, then maybe it's him. But I, I think that's so up in the air that Jeff just decided, I, I you know, I'm not going to sit on this bench forever 
when I've just been offered a good uh, ACC job in a good city, a nice place to live. Like I'm, I'm going to go jump on this thing. And you know, if I, if I could be the Duke coach someday, great. And if not, that's fine too. Cause I'm the pit coach right now. And, and I, cause I know that he got frustrated in recent years because he couldn't get involved for certain jobs because people just assumed you're going to leave us for Duke. And finally he was able to break through that. Like a, I might not even be the guy at Duke B. We don't even know when Kay's retiring. C Hire me to run your basketball program. He finally broke through that, but it had been an issue in recent years. I know that for a fact. Yeah. Um, we'll, uh, we'll see what, what comes of, of Duke in the coming years because, you know, Krzyzewski obviously just – he's still operating a high level, but perhaps we have a little twist here going forward. You know, maybe Cal keeps the momentum going and maybe Duke is still good, but maybe just tapers off a little bit. I'm not saying this is – I'm not predicting this to happen. But I can see a scenario when we get five years down the road and Shashevsky really like, I, I one I I I almost get the sense that he won't pull a wooden wooden retire like out of the blue. I think Wooden announced his retirement the day before the seventy five title game or something like that. I think Shashevsky will say this is going to be my final year and we'll have a farewell tour. What I'm getting at though is. If three, four, five, seven years from now, whenever that comes, maybe we look back and say that team with Grayson was a senior. He missed the shot against Kansas and Omaha. Marvin Bagley was on that team. Wendell Carter was on that team. They're both NBA All-Stars now. That was the last team that was like that had all that talent and was that good, and they couldn't even get to the Final Four. I'm not doubting Krzyzewski. He needs one more to set the record for most Final Fours and pass Wooden. But – Anything is possible. If Capel was really the driving force and the guy that was critical to landing so many of those key, key players and he's not there anymore, then maybe you just don't have quite as good recruiting classes and maybe that just has a little bit of a compound effect going forward. We shall see. We shall see, but I would say that he's already got this one signed and ready to go. So he's going to have at least one more super talented team. Yes. And, and I would assume that it, it, it will not be his last. Before we get out of here, the final four, like I said, it is scheduled for a Saturday. But since last time we spoke, literally nothing has happened. You got anything new to say about the final four? Well, okay. I will say uh, I, I, do, I did get a few mentions on Twitter about how we didn't say the words Malik and Newman on the previous podcast. He was obviously insane, had 13 points in the overtime, and was critical to Kansas getting to this point. So I can we can give Kansas a little bit more love here. Uh, but, but up on the site right now, we've got uh, stories about why each team – can win it all, um, and the cases for all of them. I wrote Villanova's. I don't. I don't feel like I need to repeat too much of what uh, of what Villanova can do because I think it's acknowledged. They're the betting favor. I think they're still. They might be even right now. Um, I think they were even on Sunday. Uh, but it's you know, Villanova then. I think Michigan, then Kansas, then Loyola, just in terms of uh, the odds makers overall here. But Kansas in getting here, it's it's an awesome story and. I can't. I hope I'm not. I know I've talked about this on CBS Sports HQ, which everyone should be watching frequently. In fact, I have another hit as soon as we're done on this podcast. I know I said this on HQ. I hope I didn't say it on the podcast. And if I did, I'm sorry for repeating myself. But to me, it's so interesting that Bill Self has had so many talented teams. Every Kansas team is talented, but he has had some really good teams with some some players that have been just amazing outright amazing college players and Devontae Graham is absolutely that but he's had teams with two three four of those guys or he's had teams that they haven't been amazing college players but they've gone on to be serious impact players in the NBA most recently obviously the Wiggins Embiid team springs to mind even though Embiid was not available um, in the NCAA tournament those teams didn't get to the final four though 
This one did, and it did as a one seed. It did by winning the Big 12 regular season and tournament title. It did so by facing the toughest, almost uh, almost the toughest seeding possibilities going. It got, obviously, the 16. Then it got the 8 in Seton Hall. It got the 5 in Clemson instead of the 4 in Auburn, but whatever, it's a wash. And then they get the, the number one two seed in the bracket. So they break through. Good on them. I am intrigued by the fact that we're sitting here in San Antonio the last time the Final Four was here. A certain man named Mario uh, had a shot to win a game, and a certain <laughs> certain man named Dozier had a shot for the championship. Didn't quite go that way. Championship. <laughs> exactly. Chalmers for the tie. Yes. Dozier for the championship is my favorite. Dozier for the championship always gets overlooked in the great Nance cause. It will it's- not on this podcast, though. We give it its proper due. So anyway, um, you'll see a lot. You'll see here a lot about that whole Kansas 10-year anniversary of winning the title. Maybe there's some good juju going on for Bill Self uh, in these Jayhawks. I presume they will. Uh, they will by far have the biggest fan contingent here in San Antonio. So those are my brief overall thoughts. And then we'll have another podcast as well before the national semifinals where we'll kind of get more into maybe preview of the game and any, any of the other storylines that have come about. But uh, here we are, man. Another season has almost reached its, reached its end. And I'm going to try and podcast with you in person, but I'm not going to make any promises because I know you can't make any promises. And I think you just prefer this anyway. Yeah, I like to be alone. I prefer I, – I like to be I like to be by myself. I don't like to be lonely. It's a weird – thing i've developed in really my whole life i don't like to be around other people but i i'm terrified of being lonely really i just need you like in another room i'm not ready i'm not ready for the podcast to take this 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 kind of kind of a turn right now parish and like i know you don't have anything tonight so are you saying like you don't want to try and get together in a little bit here i'll be happy to get together in a little bit with you sure okay i mean i mean i'd be happy but i'll do it (laughs) (laughs) No, here, here's the thing. I never want to go do anything. I never want to leave the hotel. But when I do leave, leave the hotel, I have a good time. Oh, that's like, no every time. I have no desire to, to like, I, how about this? I would not call somebody tonight and say, hey, I want to get out. Let's go do something. But but when I am out and I am doing something, I'll have a blast. I always have a good time. I just, I just for whatever reason, don't think that I will in advance of the good times. Hey, listen, if you go out tonight for you, I'll put on my Big Star shirt. All right? I'll rock the Big Star shirt. You you brought your Big Star shirt? Yes, I did. How about that? Okay, deal then. All I'll right. tell you what. We'll get this podcast posted, and then um, and then we'll meet for a drink or something. All right. Sounds good, bud. I'll show you the Alamo. <laughs> I'd like to see that. Uh, shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. Eventigo, the legend. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Did you see that? We rank number one now. I did not see that, but that's pretty awesome. Like yeah, it has hear. a one right beside our name. And then a two beside the people below us and the three beside the people below them. But, yeah, rank number one. And so that's a – obviously, it's That's incredible. great. I love to hear that. That's really, really cool. And hopefully we it's, can uh, keep them coming in as the, uh, as the season winds to an end here this weekend. Yeah, it's a credit to everybody listening. Also, a credit to us. I mean, long as we're being honest, but a credit to also everybody listening and subscribing and rating it favorably. So please continue to do that. In all seriousness, thank you, and we will talk to you again either on Friday or early Saturday. Till then, take care.